When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum Internet has enough speed to handle all your needs. So you can work, game, and stream with speeds up to a gig. Plus, Spectrum's advanced Wi-Fi provides enhanced security for all your connected devices. Get Spectrum Internet with fast and reliable speeds, starting at just $29.99 a month with a two-year price guarantee. Visit spectrum.com slash internet for you for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Restrictions apply. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of You Need Therapy Podcast. This is a podcast that I, Kat, my name is Kat, created a little over a year ago to help bridge the gap between mental health, getting help, and discovering deeper parts of who we were created to be. Now, I'm a licensed therapist, and per usual, I would like to give a little disclaimer that this podcast is not therapy, nor a substitute for therapy. It is a conversation starter. And like I said, I'm a therapist, and for those of you new to the show, I specialize in body image and eating disorders, though that is not the only thing I work with. It's something that I have some extra training, expertise, and experience with. And this week is Nita Week. NEDA Week is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week, and it is a week that attempts to spread awareness and knowledge through the universe so that more humans can have access to more help and just information. So you are getting an episode of just me and my voice today. I'm doing a solo episode, which doesn't happen that often. I hope you enjoy it. I did a lot of thinking about what kind of episode I wanted to put out this week. And I even asked y'all on Instagram to let me know what you wanted to hear. FYI, if you don't follow me, you can do that at cat.defada or at you need therapy podcast. A lot of you told me you wanted to hear recovery stories. Some of you wanted advice on how to help people you love who are struggling. Some just wanted any information as possible. And I thought about what to go with for a while. This week is so special to me, not just because of what I do, but because of the life that I have lived and my own experience. And I mean, I played with the idea of different guests or experts and doing recovery stories. And I thought about doing many episodes every day at one point. What I'm trying to say is I thought about this episode a lot. And as someone who specializes in this area, I always feel such an immense sense of pressure this time of year. And I think honestly, that's pressure I put on myself. 
But you see, there's actually so much to cover and talk about when it comes to eating disorders. And also there are so many outlets to get that information. And I don't know, I used to feel like there was a lack of resources out in the world, but now maybe because of the pandemic pushed a lot of humans onto online platforms that are more accessible and social media is just bigger than ever. I don't feel that way. And with that, I've been feeling really weird about social media and the platforms that are helpful and that I normally love. I've just been feeling really weird about them. And what I'm going to try to do is get these thoughts out in a way that makes sense without being too careful because I've kind of danced around this in the past couple of weeks or months. Now, when I was trying to decide on what to do this week, I kept thinking I have nothing new or interesting to say. That's one of the things that kept popping in my head of like, I have nothing new or interesting to say. One, because I feel like I've done an episode on eating disorders. I've done body image episodes. I've done a lot of that stuff. And at the same time, it seems also very saturated. Like there's a lot of stuff, at least in my world on social media, because that's more of the kinds of things that I follow and pay attention to. With that, I have been getting exhausted with some of the anti-diet social media and eating disorder recovery social media. What is the word I'm even trying to use? I'm trying to be thoughtful when I talk about this because it's not that I don't like that that's out there. I'm very grateful for it, but I'm getting exhausted with this because a lot of it is very polarizing. And that's one of the issues when it comes to eating disorder recovery is getting out of this black or white state. And what I've really come to realize is I think that it's very dangerous to pair mental health with something that also has subconscious motivation. And when it comes to social media, a lot of the underlying motivation is more about getting reposted and going viral than it is about spreading awareness and helping humans. That's what social media does. It's about likes. It's about who's seen it. It's about how many followers and all of that. I've just seen it in my world just get very icky. And what happens is a lot of misinformation gets out there. It's like playing a giant game of telephone almost and polarizing extreme things get attention. And so those things are the things that people are posting. So they get reposted. So they get more, what's it called? Like their, their profiles viewed more. Yeah. And so it ends up like exploiting something that's supposed to be good or like it ends up exploiting like something that's bad. I don't know. I hope this is making sense. It's like we're exploiting the opportunity to help people. And helping people isn't about becoming famous or going viral. It's about helping people. And that's one of the things with this podcast, even like I started it on in my living room, <laughs> thinking that like probably not a lot of people would ever really listen to it, but at least it would help like the people in my circle and my clients. And what I've been frustrated with is that like in these realms, it has become very difficult to navigate the why behind the what when we're posting. Like, am I posting this because I think it's going to get me views? Or am I posting this because this is information that I know is true and that I have, I'm trained and knowledgeable to handle? I think also a lot of information is being put out in the world that like the general public shouldn't have. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff around trauma and stuff. I think that we have to be careful what we say to just everybody because we don't want people to be practicing therapy on themselves. You know, what I have learned in the last couple of years is there's no right thing to do or say in these moments. There is no like right thing for me to put out for need a week. There's just the most authentic thing. And if that helps people, that helps people, if that hits, that hits, if that gets listens and downloads, great. But that's not the reason that we're doing this. And still with that, I ended up texting a friend, Lisa Haim, who she has her own, she has two podcasts. She does Outweigh with Amy Brown and then she has The Truthiest Life. And I was texting her because I just was like kind of stuck. And she said something that, it was very simple, but blew my mind. And she said, honestly, I'm never one to get involved in awareness weeks when it comes to this stuff, because I'm actually always just talking about it anyway. And my response was, whoa, like, <laughs> whoa. 
maybe that's why I feel like I have nothing new to say because I'm always talking about this stuff. Like this is what I do. And this will never feel like an extreme attention grabbing thing for me because it already is who I am and what I do. And I really don't do it for attention. I do it to give attention to what the issue is. So all in that to say, I really just want us to be careful about what we're putting out into the world um, because I've somewhat of a privilege to have the information and the knowledge that I have about eating disorders and just mental health. And I have to be careful with what I do with that. And that goes to all professionals. And that also goes to like, if you don't have the expertise and the knowledge, we might need to stay in our lanes more. I know my lane when it comes to mental health. I don't help with all things. There are plenty of things that I'm like, I actually don't, wouldn't know how to treat that. This whole thing is interesting though, because we're talking about eating disorders and that's just what eating disorders do. They tell us to show up differently than who we really are. And they tell us what our authentic selves believes is wrong, which is why I was like, well, what's the most authentic thing? Like I was struggling with that. They tell us that the outside is more important than the inside and they make us insanely worried and concerned about what people think. For example, if I was going to make an episode that was going to be good enough for Need a Week. And I've decided there's actually no th- such thing as an episode that's good enough for Need a Week. And so I'm sitting here thinking to myself, what is the most authentic thing to talk about today? What do I want people to hear or know or feel this week? Now, if we get really basic, what I want everyone to know is that eating disorders are not one size fits all. I cannot explain every eating disorder by talking about one person's eating disorder. And they're not always about control. Often they are. They aren't always about looking like a certain body. Often they are. Some of them are connected to sexual trauma. Some of them are connected to emotional wounds, emotional trauma. Some are about lack of emotional regulation. Some are about overregulation. So one thing I can't do here is sit and tell you exactly what they are and how to treat them. Though we do know some things that generally influence them. One being diet culture. What I think people fail to realize is despite the intricacies of eating disorders, they are the leading cause of death in the mental health field. These are very dangerous, deadly things. So when I get fired up about them, it's because this isn't just about someone being worried about someone who wants to look like a fitness influencer who's skipping meals every now and then. It is about that, but it's about what doing that can turn into. And I want people to know that what we eat and how we move has an extreme result in the rest of our body. And what we say to ourselves about how we do those things matters a lot. Eating disorders are also usually co-occurring, meaning something else pops up in conjunction or as a result of many of those things being drug addiction, depression, and anxiety. So for a second, just imagine trying to manage all of that on your own. Like, that's a lot. But when it comes down to it, there's something more I want to put out into the world than just talking about these facts. Although I do love talking about the facts. Last night, I was spending some time with a friend and I mentioned something about my history with an eating disorder. And he said, I didn't know you had an eating disorder. Internally, I had this moment of, oh my gosh, how doesn't he know? I feel like everybody knows this about me, especially these days. And then I did a quick check on myself because we survivors over here have to be very careful not to tie our pain and struggles to the entirety of our identity. And that right there is what I really want to drive home this week in this episode. You know, ever since I watched Brene Brown's first TED Talk, I've always been pretty enthralled in how people are introduced. And if you haven't seen it, I'll give you cliff notes. Basically, they were trying to figure out what she would be introduced as because she's a shame researcher. And they were like, well, I think that we're going to go with storyteller because that sounds better. You know, and then I also was listening to a podcast a couple of years ago um, with John Acuff, who is a writer and a speaker. And the host asked him what he introduced himself as. And he said, well, actually, I like to go more with writer because it sounds cooler and sexier than speaker. But like he's both of them. 
And I think it's so interesting how we get caught up in what our title is. And I think that titles can be specific and broad, but at some point the titles we create for ourselves turn into our identities. Think about it. How would you introduce yourself? Like, what would you say? And when it comes down to it, I think it comes down to the need, I think, to feel validated, to feel valued, to feel important, to feel wanted, desired, any of those things. That's what our introduction comes down to. And we have this innate desire as a human to be desirable. So we create huge stakes in who we are, but who we are is what I am to other people. That's what we base our identities off of. So growing up for me uh, at times was hard and not in the way that like I had a hard life, but because to the naked eye, like I had a very easy life. I think like I grew up in a middle-class family in Williamson County. My parents are still married today. They're very much in love. Like if we had problems with money or issues with money, I never knew about it growing up. Like, so obviously wasn't a huge issue. And I always seemed to have friends and I was athletic and I was smart and I liked school, not like going to school. I mean, like I liked academics (laughs) and I was a pretty normal kid for the most part. And then some things started to happen. And I can halfway laugh about this now, but it really isn't that funny when I look back on how it actually ultimately affected me. Hey guys, Kat here. And I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick, or you just need a little extra boost, I think I found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be cozy earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you You Need Therapy after you check out. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. So in fifth grade, I was bullied by some girls that were previously my friends. And the most distinct memory I have is that one day I was playing kickball with my class at recess. And this girl, we will call her Molly. That is not actually her name, but we're going to call her Molly. Um, This girl yelled out in front of everybody, my whole class, actually the whole grade, whoever was around to hear it. Hey, Catherine, maybe you should stop drinking strawberry milkshakes and more strawberries slim fast. Yeah. So here's the thing. Kids don't know there's something wrong with them until someone tells them. And an easy way to explain that is think about babies and kids and toddlers. And they just walk around naked, belly out all day long, thinking that they're so cute. And we smile at them and tell them that they're so cute. And we squeeze their rolls and they're great. They think that they're the center of the world. I didn't know there was something wrong with me until people like Molly told me. And I bet some of you guys have those experiences too. And humans are story making things, meaning we make sense out of life using stories. We need beginnings, we need middles, and and we have to have an ending. When we have endings, when we get those light bulb complete finishes on things, we get dopamine in our body. And this comment Molly made was the middle of my story and I needed to find an ending. I needed to know why she was mean to me. And Brene Brown talks about this and gives great example of what this can look like using the example of like, imagine you are texting somebody that you like, you have a crush on and it doesn't matter if it's a guy or girl and you're texting them and, and saying things back and forth. And all of a sudden you get the dot, dot, dots, you know, on the text messages and then it goes away. And then you like never hear from them. And then your mind starts going because you're in the middle of that story and you're trying to figure out why they didn't text you. And it's usually something dark, like they decided they hated you or what you said was they took it the wrong way or they started dating somebody else in that five seconds or something like that. And when the reality is it could be something very small of like their phone died or it fell in toilet or they went out for a run or they're in the shower or they're like getting gas at a gas station and aren't on the phone. Like it can be something very small, but the bigger and the more dramatic the ending, the more, more dopamine we get. So what did I do as a kid? I created a very large belief, very large ending to my story in my head. And that was that I was not enough. I was not desirable and there was something wrong with me. And I also wanted to fix this. So my attempts to fix not be enough were um, kind of all over the place. And I developed beliefs about myself from those experiences that I held on to until my early 20s. I spent the majority of my adolescence and teen years being extremely insecure. And the thing is, I was never the worst at things, but I also was never the best at anything either. And you could say that I didn't have a good introduction, right? Like, hi, this is Catherine. She is okay at a lot of things. She also doesn't really know what she wants to do with her life. There's nothing like eye-catching in that. So I had what I would call low fluctuating self-esteem. Now, I talked about this on the podcast last week with Kenzie about the self-esteem epidemic kind of thing, how in the past 10 or 20 years, there's been a huge shift in motivating kids through giving them an inflated sense of self-esteem. This is happening as I'm growing up. And let's talk about what self-esteem is. So it's a global evaluation of your self-worth. It's outside source, right? It's finding self-worth through outside circumstances. This is a judgment. I am a good person or I'm a bad person. There's not any gray middle area here. Self-esteem is created by doing works and keeping up. Like I said last week, it's like, it's by 
being the best team or having the highest grade or getting this affirmation or this validation and high self-esteem can be problematic, but it's not because you have it. It's how you get it. And this is why we used to use it as the ultimate maker of self-worth. So if I have high self-esteem, I have self-worth. This is why we have that rise in narcissism. If I'm doing these things, I am a better person. In our culture, you have to feel special and above average to have that self-esteem. And if we all need to feel above average, we find ways to either puff ourselves up or put others down. The huge issue here is that not everybody can be the best. Only one person can be the best. So that's why we have this issue with bullying because we have to find a a way to puff ourselves up. And a lot of times that's by pushing people down. Being average becomes an insult. Nobody wants to be okay. I didn't want to be okay at anything. So self-esteem is contingent on our success. And the issue with that is because what happens when we fail or do not meet ideal standards. Because in life, we are guaranteed to fail. We actually have to fail. We need to fail in order to grow. But there was no room for that, or there's none in this area. Now, here's the other thing. What do you think the number one way women find self-esteem is? I'm gonna give you a second to think about it, um, even though it's probably obvious. It is how we look. That is why that comment on the playground meant so much to me. And also, how are we as women supposed to feel above average or men in a world where standards of looks are unattainable? Most of us end up having low self-esteem. The average woman, like this is, uh, I don't know if these are like updated stats, so like don't like totally quote me on this, but like the average size of a woman, the last time I researched this, 20 years and above was 170 pounds and a waist of 38.5, which is around a size 14, 16 in pants, but Also, like, I don't know if that size thing really is relevant because we all know sizes everywhere are different, every store you go to. So whatever. The point is 68% of Americans where if we're using sizes uh, above a 14, the average model weighs less than 23% than the average woman in America. And we are all chasing after the model, right? That's what we're going for. So here's where I have an issue. If I find my identity in being desired and feeling desired rides on self-esteem and self-esteem is highly based off of how I look and how I look is dependent on being smaller than the minority of others. I think that we are all screwed except like one person. By the way, after third grade, women's perception of how attractive they are and their self-esteem takes a nosedive. Third grade, very sad. So if this is the truth, if this is where we are, what ends up happening if we're in this self-esteem epidemic where like we can only one person can be the best? Well, this is what ends up happening. We start self-criticizing. And I think some people look at criticism as something good because it can help motivate us. And sure, some people can hold that belief. I do not believe that criticism is very helpful because of of this. Research actually shows that self-criticism undermines our motivation. Because we tap into our threat defense system when we are criticizing. And our threat defense system is that fight, fight, or freeze. This system is evolved for threats to our body. But now it happens when we have a threat to our self-concept. So when we feel threatened, we attack the problem. The issue is we're the problem because we're criticizing ourselves. So we attack ourselves. So adrenaline and cortisol are released when this happens in both areas. So now we're the attacker and we're being attacked. So you're releasing extra cortisol and becoming immensely stressed. Regardless of other things, that leads to severe depression and anxiety. We have heightened levels of our stress hormones. (laughs) So self-criticism actually really does not help us. I will say in my eating disorder, what the world thought about my body became the only thing I cared about. I thought that that was going to be the thing that like gave me what I needed. And I lost friends. I became a kind of shitty friend. I started acting outside of my moral compass and I became very tired. 
which if you know me, I'm a ball of energy most times. And I, I didn't actually need that. I didn't, what I, I didn't need the validation that my eating disorder was telling me that it was giving me. What I needed in those moments of fear and sadness and feeling like I didn't have an identity and nothing worthy of being introduced for, what I needed in those moments was some compassion. I needed to acknowledge my pain because ignoring pain, as we know, just turns pain into suffering. I needed to feel safe and secure with myself so that the opinions of others in society didn't have the ability to dictate my opinion of myself. And to do that, I needed to sit down with myself and figure out all my parts rather than just trying to fix the parts I didn't like. I really also needed to stop trying to be the best at something and I needed to learn to just enjoy something. And I look at my history and I look at the history of so many clients I work with and people in my life and it a lot of times looks like we have this trajectory of we're fighting this battle of trying to create a desirable identity our whole lives when really like we don't even really know who we are because we don't even know what who we are even means. So how do I battle this? Well, for one, this is huge. We actually have to stop making about what we look like. That is not the most important part of anybody. We instead start spending time getting to know ourselves and figuring out more about how we show up. We need to be able to differentiate our feelings about ourselves from the messages we're getting from other people. I am not what you say I am. I am what I say I am. We need to create beliefs about ourselves separate from others is what I'm saying. And yeah, it can feel good when someone agrees and bad when somebody disagrees, but either one of those things doesn't make our truth any more or less true. We get to decide that. We are our own truth tellers. We have to create a sense of self rather than placing our identity in something, which for women is usually our looks and basing everything off of that external global self-esteem. Identity, I think, in our culture really waters who we are down. Like, I am my job. I am my body. I am my religion. No, you're none of those things. Those are just things that make up the parts of how you understand who you are. Your identity is how you show up in the world. And as we do this work on ourselves, we can also help others do the work too. And a simple way to do that is to be careful and intentional with the kinds of affirmations we give other people. While yes, we don't want our friends to use our affirmation as the fuel their body runs off of, we can support the truth of one's identity by affirming how people show up and not as much around what they show up as. And lastly, I kind of want to close with this. Last year, this exact week, I had a session with a client who had finally made the decision to do the very hard, scary work that is eating disorder recovery. This week, a year ago, she came in my office and said, now that I'm actually doing this, I realize how much information is out there that tells my eating disorder that it is right. This is like fighting an uphill battle. Do you realize that? And I looked at her and I just said, yes, I realize that. But Every single time somebody joins our side, we get a little bit stronger, which reminds me of one of my favorite Margaret Mead quotes. And she said, never doubt that a group of small committed citizens can change the world. In fact, they're the only ones who ever have. And I guess my point here is that I want you guys to know that this stuff is hard. Finding out who you are is hard. It's not easy. It's not as easy as I make it sound in this podcast. At times, I find it to be quite the pain in the ass but it is what we need. And if it takes one person at a time to get on this train, so be it, I'll take it. And I do want to say I'm grateful for the influx of the awareness and the people promoting anti-diets and all the resources and all the things. I am grateful for that. But in that, we remember that getting attention for the promotion isn't the point. It is showing up where we show up as authentic. That is the point. Because the more people who can show up as authentic, that's going to create a ripple effect for the rest of us. When we put so much stake in our introduction and how people see us, 
what ends up happening is we get on this race that I just have been talking about this hamster wheel of trying to keep up with what other people are going to think is good and cool and whatever. And that is so much not what we need right now, because that's not ever going to be satisfying. You're going to forever be on that train. But when we get to just breathe, allow ourselves to be ourselves and that not be shaken by if other people think it's cool enough to be reposted or not. That is where like real life really starts, I think. So this week, pay attention to the why behind your what's. Why are you doing the things you're doing? Because if it's to curate an introduction that is sexy and cool, I would say you got some work to do. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.